Please have a seat. Welcome to our special service. You know, we finally made it, didn't we? We're in the Christmas season. Let's see, we've made it through a lockdown for months, and then we made it through a reopening, and then we made it through the last two weeks of a lockdown again, and now another reopening, and I, I have the feeling that we're done uh, locking down and reopening. We're just going to stay open. T tonight is a special night. I even brought my special shoes to celebrate a part of it. We're going we're gonna to have a little time considering something and some truths from the Word of God and about a custom that we are used to practicing this time of the year. Then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as is fitting to enter into this season, this Advent season. Then afterwards, we're going to go and light a Christmas tree outside, complete with coffee for adults, and um, not only coffee, but hot chocolate for kids. And we have cranberry apple cider, I believe, as well, with fire pits outside. And uh, what a beautiful day to, to, to celebrate this, because this morning, do you, do you all have snow at your house? So exciting. So I remember um, uh, something Jay Leno said. Jay Leno, of course, was the host of The Tonight Show for years. He said the Christmas tree was, for him, the perfect house plant because it was already dead. <laughs> All of us grew up with Christmas trees, right? Uh, some form of them or seeing them at least in the neighborhood. Uh, when I was a kid, we began with real Christmas trees. My dad thought that was important that we go out and get our own Christmas tree. This is my ver very earliest memory. Uh, and then we went from, from that to fake Christmas trees, uh, or excuse me, flocked Christmas trees, real, but, you know, painted flocked and stuff, and all the flock got all over the carpet and all over the house, and it was a mess. So we finally went to a fake Christmas tree, and the fake Christmas tree we had was like the worst ever. It was white plastic. I can still remember it in the box. You just put the little branches together, and, and um, we lived from real Christmas trees to fake Christmas trees. But we loved them nonetheless. We loved putting them up. We loved putting up the manger scene. We liked putting uh, lights on, tinsel. Who hates tinsel? Okay, who loves tinsel? Wow, there's like a division, you know, sort of like the political season. Tinsel. You know, how you decorate your Christmas tree says a lot about you, though. Um, what your Christmas tree says about you. So if you just put white lights on your Christmas tree, um, it says that you are the kind of a person that wants house guests to remove their shoes. If you put on multicolored lights, you're an extrovert. Blinking lights, you have attention deficit disorder. <laughs> Homemade ornaments, you have lots of children. Um, strung popcorn, you have too much time on your hands. Red balls only, you wish you lived in a department store. Yellow star on top, you're traditional. A cut-off top, you didn't measure the tree. <laughs> a vague evergreen smell, you bought a healthy tree. A strong evergreen smell, you sprayed your tree with pine saw. 
And a just plain smelly tree means there's a dead bird somewhere in your tree. (laughs) Of course, perhaps the most famous tree in our country is the tree in Rockefeller Center, which this year, if you've seen the pictures, is an absolute disaster. The thing looks wilted. It's missing branches. It's kind of bowed over. It's not this majestic tree. The tree looks like it has coronavirus. Now, what does a Christmas tree have to do with celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ? What's the deal with a a pine tree relating to a child born in a manger 2,000 years ago? Some people would say absolutely nothing. In fact, they would say Christmas trees are pagan. They're they're from uh, pagan traditions, pagan rituals. Um, It's something that was carried along from Babylon. I've heard this before. I've tried to do my research on it, and, and often people will confront you with a verse of Scripture I'm going to read to you out of the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 10, and if you read it in the old King James Version, and if you get just a couple of words and highlight them enough, you could, if you're really tired, think it's, it's about a Christmas tree. So it says, hear the word of the Lord, which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Gentiles, the Hebrew word hagoim, speaks of uh, pagan people groups that were often around Israel at that time. Do not learn the way of the pagan peoples, the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of the heavens. For the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are futile. One cuts a tree down from the forest. The work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. And I've heard people read this verse and then go, See, Christmas trees are right there in the Bible. The only problem with that is, is this is the book of Jeremiah written 600 years before there was even a Christmas let alone a Christmas tree. Number two, it has nothing at all to do with Christmas trees, everything to do with idolatry. That is the context of the passage. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is predicting the Babylonian captivity, which is coming or would come on Israel. In fact, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, had already been taken captive. The two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were about to be taken captive by Babylon. And then there's this little snippet in chapter 10 that talks about why that is, and that is their idolatry. They would go cut a tree down, bring it home, lop off its branches, form an idol out of it, plate it with silver and gold so that they had a statue, essentially, and they would worship the statue that they had made out of the tree and out of the silver and the gold. Because it goes on to say, They are upright like a palm tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they themselves cannot go by themselves. So he says, don't be afraid of them. They can't hurt you. So the point is, they would make a statue that they would worship, and the statue couldn't do anything. It couldn't talk. It couldn't walk. It couldn't smell. It couldn't speak. In fact, it was all by human effort. You had to plant the seed to get the tree. That's human effort. That's human effort. 
It grew up by your fertilization and water. That's human effort. It was chopped down by human effort. It was carved into a statue by human effort. So you made a God and you worship the God that you made. That, that's the point of it. So it's not speaking about the Christmas tree. And unless you pray to your Christmas tree and worship your Christmas tree, this has nothing to do with it. And I doubt that any of you do that. However, in our own country, our forefathers, some of them, believed that Christmas itself, just celebrating Christmas this time of the year, was in and of itself pagan and wrong. The Puritans did not believe in Christmas. The Puritans believed that it had pagan roots, therefore Christmas should not be celebrated. And in 17th century America, back in the early American 13 colonies, did you know that Christmas was outlawed? It was against the law to celebrate Christmas. Uh, So stores would not close. They would remain open. Shops were to remain open. Anybody violating that would be fined. The only thing that was mandatorily closed on Christmas were churches. That was a law in America. And that's because of the Puritan influence. And every year we still get letters if we have trees on the platform or a tree outside. Don't you know about Jeremiah 10? Don't you know about the pagan origin of Christmas trees, etc.? Now, granted, there are traditions uh, that come with Christmas that are pure fantasy, like flying reindeer. Or a very obese man miraculously fitting through a very narrow chimney. All sorts of made-up stories. But the idea of the Christmas tree may not be as wrong or far off base from something good and wholesome as you might think. So I want to ask and answer a few questions. Number one, where did the Christmas tree originate? It wasn't Babylon. It wasn't Macy's. It was probably the Protestant Reformation. Now, if I took you back to um, the Middle Ages, the Middle Ages between uh, the 5th century A.D. and uh, uh, the, the 16th century A.D., the Middle Ages, there was something that in Germany and in that part of Europe, people every year did. And they would go into the forest, cut a tree down, bring it inside, and put apples and wafers on it. It was called a paradise tree. It was celebrated December 24th, which was believed at that time to be the feast of Adam and Eve. And so the tree represented the tree in the Garden of Eden, the apples on the tree, the fruit that Adam and Eve ate that plunged the world into sin. Later on, they put wafers on it to symbolize communion, the Lord's Supper, and even cookies on it to attract the kids so that they would think it was cool as well. That was called a paradise tree, and along with the paradise tree was the paradise play, where people would enact to celebrate the feast of Adam and Eve, the fall of man in the garden, and God's plan of salvation. It is believed that the paradise tree was the forerunner to the Christmas tree, because in the 1500s, a man came along by the name of Martin Luther. Ever heard that name? Sure you have. Martin Luther, head of, starter of the Protestant Reformation. It is attributed to him. 
Martin Luther, who was familiar with the paradise tree, um, thought that he would do something different. He thought that he could, instead of putting apples and wafers on it, put candles on it and light it up. Putting candles on it to tell his children, Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the light shines in darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish the light. That's what he did with the paradise tree. Now, the way he did it, it is believed, is one night he was out walking in the forest in Germany. Uh, the sun had set, the stars and the moon were out, and he looked up, and he, all around him were fir trees, pine trees, beautiful forests. And he noticed as he looked up, he could see the stars glistening. And he could see the silhouette of the, of the fir tree, and it, it was like there were lights on it all around. And he got the idea, hey, maybe I can take the paradise tree and I can make something unique out of it to speak, not of Adam and Eve, but of the second Adam, Jesus, and Jesus being the light of the world, and make this a teaching moment for my own children. So that became really what we know as the Christmas tree. Now, fast forward. Uh, to uh, the 19th century of Prince Albert and Queen Victoria. They popularized the Christmas tree, putting little gifts on it and candy on it and um, ornaments on it, etc., etc. But if you really want to go vintage in your Christmas tree, you got to put candles on it. You figure out a way to get those candles on. Of course, you got to ask the fire marshal about that because uh, he might have a, a fit. So, so don't quote me on that because I don't want your house burning down saying, you told me. But that's if you want to go vintage. So, so where did it originate? It originated in the Middle Ages with the Paradise Tree and then probably by Martin Luther during the Protestant Reformation. Here's the second question I want to ask and answer. Not only where does the tree originate, but what does the tree demonstrate? What's it all about? Well, if we follow the history, the paradise tree was about paradise lost. It was about Adam and Eve doing what they did, plunging the world into sin, right? So that's about paradise lost. Martin Luther came along and said, I want to I take this a step further. It's not about paradise lost. It's about the possibility of paradise found. I wanted to speak of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, illuminating the dark world with truth and with peace and with love. I love how the Gospel of John begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and there was nothing that was made that he didn't make. And then it says, And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And here's the best translation. The darkness can never, ever extinguish the light. So it's about paradise lost, but it's really about paradise found. That's, that's what the tree demonstrates. Most people don't think of that when they think of Christmas trees. When most people think of Christmas trees, they think about presents underneath the tree, and especially when they're young, presents that are underneath the tree for them, right? I, I remember as a kid, I, I didn't sleep Christmas Eve. In fact, I would often wake up early enough when everybody was still sleeping, and I'd sneak out, 
And I'd look under the Christmas tree, and I'd look at the size of it, and I'd read the names, and I'd try to guess what was in there. And I remember one Christmas, looking under the Christmas tree, everybody was asleep, I thought. I'm looking under the tree, and I see what I wanted, what I asked for, what I prayed for, a bicycle. And I was so excited. Then I heard my mother's voice over my shoulder. Unless you get back in bed right now, young man, you won't ride that bicycle. (laughs) Foom! Off to the bedroom. The Christmas tree was about gifts for me. Now, just a, a note about Christmas gifts. These are just facts. Women buy more Christmas gifts than men. That probably doesn't surprise you. Because you're going like, so I I knew that. Um, Women spend more time shopping for the appropriate gift than men. And women are much more successful at buying the right gift than men are. It is estimated that gifts, only 10% of gifts that women buy get returned. About 17% of gifts that men buy get returned. So women are just better at buying gifts and and much more successful. To most retailers out there, also the Christmas tree speaks about gifts. They're hoping that people will, will buy stuff at the Christmas season. The Christmas season accounts for about 70% of the revenue during the year for retailers. So our heart goes out to so many businesses that get forced to close during this time of the year. Because 70% of their income depends on this time of the year. What's interesting to me, and I just found this out today, this year, COVID year, 2020, spending is down only slightly less. Um, the, the average person, believe it or not, will spend a total of $805 this Christmas season. Last year it was $924. This year it's it's $805. So it's down, you know, a little a, a bit, but but overall it's still doing quite well. That's just an FYI. I just threw that in for free. Now, the giving of gifts has a history as well. And a lot of people go, oh yeah, I know, I know the history of gift giving. It goes back to the Magi, those men from the East who came bearing gifts and they gave them to the parents of the Lord Jesus Christ, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Yeah, I guess you could look at that as the, the, the first gifts given, but really, gifts as we know it at Christmas time began in the fourth century AD by a Christian minister, a bishop. And it's a name you're going to be, you're going to be familiar with. You're going to recognize he was, uh, he was, uh, living in the area of Myra, uh, Anatolia, modern day Turkey. And his name was Nicholas. Bishop Nicholas of Myra. He loved the poor. He gave, uh, food to the poor. He gave fuel to families to light up and heat up their homes. Uh, he gave toys to children. And, It was so successful that when he died on his uh, uh, birthday every year, people started giving gifts in memory of Nicholas of Myra. So the idea of Saint Nick came from an actual historical person who had compassion, who loved Jesus, and gave gifts to people, and gift-giving was taken from that. 
As time went on, different cultures played with that, dressed it up a little bit, literally. Um, the idea of Santa Claus in the red and the white actually comes from uh, the bishop's mitre, the hat that he wore and the, and the cape that he wore. And the Dutch, the Dutch uh, referred to St. Nicholas as Saint Nicholas. Saint Nicholas and a contraction. They contracted the word to Sintorklaus or Santa Claus. But all of it refers to Nicholas of Myra, really the progenitor of gift giving at this time of the year. So let me ask a third question as we bring this to a close, because this is really the heart of it. Not only where does it originate, and not only what does it demonstrate, but how should believers celebrate? How should we as God's people celebrate? And here's the answer. By letting the Christmas tree point to another tree. By letting the Christmas tree point to the Calvary tree. And I don't mean the tree out in the courtyard of Calvary of Albuquerque. I mean the cross of Jesus Christ. Let the Christmas tree point to the Calvary tree, the cross of Jesus Christ. A couple of years ago, uh, we went driving down um, a street near us, and I took my grandkids with me, uh, Seth and Katie. They piled them in the back, and we drove down, and we looked at the lights, and there was one property that uh, lights up several trees on the property. They're magnificent. They're dazzling. But in the middle of the lit trees is a giant cross, all lit up. The owner of the property wants to know, yep, these trees may be cool, all decorated, all with their different colors, blinking, massive, etc. But the center of your attention ought to be, the focus of your attention ought to be the cross of Jesus Christ. Now that's how God sees Christmas. All the other trees at Christmas point to the tree of Calvary. Because the Christmas tree is, is the tree of lights. The cross is the tree of life. In him was the light, the life and the light of men, the Bible says. So God's Christmas tree isn't a fir tree with lots of branches. God's Christmas tree only has two branches. One on the left and one on the right. Where Jesus hung on that rough wooden tree, hands outstretched as if to say, I love you this much. I want to embrace the entire world with my love. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That is God's Christmas tree. Doesn't have many branches, just has two branches. Um, it, 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 it's not filled with many colors, it has predominantly a single color, red, from the blood that was shed for you and I. Uh, this tree isn't flocked with snow, but if you believe in the one who gave his life for you, your sins will be washed whiter than snow, the Bible tells us. So the best Christmas present is not under the tree. The best Christmas present was hung on the tree. For Paul said in 2 Corinthians, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
hung on a tree. And by the way, the Bible sometimes uses that in reference to the cross. For instance, 1 Peter chapter 2, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. So let me, let me suggest to you that you could take all of world history and make it about three trees. You could sum up all of world history by three trees. First of all, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember God said to Adam and Eve, don't touch that one. You, you can freely eat any of the trees of the garden. Don't touch that one. But they disobeyed God. They were banished from the Garden of Eden so that they wouldn't take of the tree of life, which was also in the garden, because God didn't want them in their fallen, sinful condition to live forever in that condition. So they were banished from the garden. The world, as I mentioned, was plunged into sin because of what they did. But then there was the tree of life in the garden, and the tree of life shows up in the book of Revelation in heaven. In a garden-like environment in the new Jerusalem is the tree of life for the healing of the nations. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, and right in between those two trees is God's Christmas tree, the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. So every time you see a Christmas tree, for that matter, every time you see a manger, let it remind you of God's plan to get you to the tree of life. And the way he got you from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to the tree of life is by that tree in the middle, the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 5, God demonstrated his own love for us. And while that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Santa Claus, well, not the fat guy who goes down the chimney, but Saint Nicholas, Saint Klaus. Nicholas of Myra, a real dude who loved Jesus and with the love of Jesus gave to people. A Christmas tree, not quite what it's become in the commercial sense, but a paradise tree that somebody thought, I can do better than a paradise tree, let it speak of Jesus. And let the tree point to him. Every year, kids write letters to Santa. And one little boy by the name of Albert was just really honest one year and wrote this letter. Dear Santa, the gift you gave me last year wasn't very good. And the gift you gave me the year before wasn't very good. Santa, this is your last chance. Forget Santa. Let Nicholas point you to his Savior. Let the tree point you to the Savior, Jesus Christ. I heard about a boy years ago in England that got lost. He was walking through the streets, didn't know where he was, finally sat down on the stoop of a building, a bunch of steps, and just sat there and started crying. Finally, a policeman walking his beat noticed the young boy and said, a young man, why are you crying? I can't find my way home. So the police officer tried to help him. Do you live in this part of town? Do you live in that part of town? He started naming sections of the city. The boy didn't know what section of town he lived in. So the police officer started naming streets, familiar streets. The boy had no idea the names of the streets. 
So the police officer started naming different businesses, stores. The little boy didn't know what those were or where they were. Finally, the police officer had an idea, and he took the boy out in the street and pointed in the distance to a steeple jetting high above the other buildings with a cross on it and said, young man, do you live anywhere near that building, that church? And the little boy saw it, and and he lit up, and he goes, yes, I live right by there. Take me to the cross. I can find my way home from there. Take me to the cross. I can find my way home from there. You're home tonight. And we're going to celebrate the fact that we are home at the cross as we take the Lord's Supper. Somewhere near you, I think you have the elements or you brought them in, did you not? I'm going to go make sure I have mine over here. They were over here. They're over here. Where? Oh, they're over here. Brian. Thank you, Brian. Has this been decovidized? Okay, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so um, you have in your hands um, these convenient elements that speak of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that this speaks of his sacrifice. This points us to the greatest act of love ever. Jesus giving his life so that we wouldn't have to die for our sins. So, no matter what happens to you in the future, whenever you die by traffic accident, by heart disease, by tornado, by COVID, by whatever it might be, you will not really perish, but you will have everlasting life. So we're going to take these. First of all, let's just take the bread and we'll pray together. Lord, we know the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took Passover elements, took the bread, the unleavened bread, that large cracker-like substance. He broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. He was announcing to his followers, those he loved, that he would soon be dying for them, that his own physical body would be broken, that his flesh would be penetrated by spikes and crowns of thorns, and he would suffer. And so he emblematically took the bread and said, you should take this and do it often, and when you do, remember me, remember my love, remember my sacrifice. So in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ, we have gathered because the Bible tells us to gather together, to meet together, and, and, and doing it more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. So in obedience to you, we gather together and we take this bread and we say, thank you, Lord, for going to the tree, for going to the cross, for willingly, freely, voluntarily giving up your life, Lord Jesus. So every time we see a Christmas tree, it points us to the Calvary tree. Whenever we see a tree with lights, it points us really to the tree of life, the cross, where your body was broken, 
where we might enter into relationship with you. So we take this element in remembrance of you in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. And then as you peel that foil membrane off to get to the juice, Father, we, we pray now as we take this grape juice, the fruit of the vine, which during the disciples' time was wine, Passover wine. And at that fourth glass of wine, the cup of redemption, our Lord Jesus said, this is the, the covenant with you in my blood, shed for you for the remission of sins. We thank you, Lord, that though our sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. That, Lord, like a Christmas tree is often flocked, you cover us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that what we are is completely covered over by his perfection and goodness. And we take this cup, not only in obedience, but out of love, in deep gratitude, saying thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Bible tells us, cleanses a person from all sin. All sin. No matter what we've done, no matter how we've been living, no matter how we failed, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We take this cup believing that, trusting you for that, knowing that because of the covenant we have with you, we are forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take together. Lord, we love you. We do pray, Father, for those in our community, in our city, those who are vulnerable, Lord, those who are um, compromised physically, and we pray you'd guard them, you'd keep them. We pray you'd heal them. We also pray, Lord, that you would heal broken hearts and depression that this year has brought on. Bring hope to the hopeless. Use us to share with them not only your hope, but your joy, your peace, to reflect Jesus to them. Thank you, Lord, that we could gather. And as we enjoy each other's company safely and fellowship safely, we pray that you would renew our spirits, reinvigorate us. Thank you, Lord, for the church of Jesus Christ. What Paul said is the pillar and the ground of all the truth. Thank you that the Lord Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so, Lord, as we read your word, we understand that church is essential, absolutely essential. May we be your hands, your feet, and show your love, your heart. 
to fellow believers in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. I'm going to dismiss you. If you have children, please get your kids so you don't leave them over there. And the teachers wonder if you didn't skip out on them. And then let's all go out into the courtyard where we're going to have coffee, hot chocolate, cider. And we're going to enjoy some music provided for you by an acapella band. And then we're going to have the tree lighting together. God bless you. Let's meet out there in just a few minutes. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church/give. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.